0: We are actually launching a brand new series, a brand new conversation today, um, and I want to um, start by kind of getting you to think of, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a phrase that was, it was really, really big three, three years ago or so, it's still pretty big because people still use it. Um, chances are you've maybe used it if you don't currently use it, you've used it um, in reference to yourself, you've used it in reference to someone else, you've either said I'm a or they're a hot mess. You said, hey, they are, they are a hot mess, or, or my life right now, oh, I'm such a hot mess right now. And, uh, and this, this phrase, it actually didn't start in the 20, uh, 21st century, it actually began in the 19th century, and when it began in the 19th century, it was, um, it was in relation to the military. And the and soldiers would say, they would use this when talking about food, like, I can't wait for a hot mess, or we're going to have a hot mess. And then the 20th century kind of evolved a little bit again, it was still used in a military um, context. But it was when uh, there was a firefighter, whether there was a dangerous situation, they would say, hey, we're in a hot mess right now. We're in a hot mess. And, uh, and we've taken it in the 21st century and we've adapted it. And uh, really a hot mess is just an attractive disaster. right? Someone who's kind of like, you know, like that maybe they're a, a little bit of an, a mess relationally or financially or academically or there's a whole heap of messes that are going, but, but what do they do? You know, they cone their hair, they put on some nice clothes, they show up at church on a Sunday. No, they go to work. And they interact with their friends, they put this smile, and they say, hey, everything's good. Everything's fantastic. And, uh, and that's kind of a challenge for us, right? Because if we ever encounter a mess in our lives, what, what do we do? We look to how other people deal with their mess. And everyone else looks so attractive while they're going through their messes. And so we can kind of think to ourselves, like, is, does everyone just have a phenomenal life? Like, is everyone's life just going really, really well? Like, how, how do we navigate? And so then we kind of go, well, I guess I, guess I got to put on my nice clothes and wear a smile and comb my hair and just kind of try and hold it all together while everything else is falling apart. Now, that's not a healthy way to deal with the messes in our lives, right? And we we know that and you know that from the outside, but the challenge is kind of to go, well, okay, like if that's not a healthy way and we know that, what is a healthy way? And how do we address some of the messes that that we see in our lives? Like how, how do we address our financial messes? How do we address our relational messes? How do we address the messages in our marriage? How do we address the messes in our friendships? For some of you, right? Perhaps um, you're dating a mess. Maybe for some of you, um, and don't elbow the person on hand. Maybe some of you married a mess. Maybe some of you married into a mess. Really, don't say this if you're. A, if, maybe some of you are being parented by a mess. Maybe you're parenting a mess. Okay, because so many of us have messes and. And really, that's why we're doing this series, Address the Mess, for four weeks. Um, It's an apt description uh, title, considering everything's going on in the world. Like, the world can feel like a bit of a mess right now. Um, We actually planned this months ago, so whether that's God or just coincidence, whatever, you can decide. Um, But we're talking about this idea of addressing the messes in our life and how difficult and how challenging that can be. And this is a series for you regardless of where you fall on the faith spectrum. If you would sort of say to yourself, I'm not a Christian, I resist it, I don't want anything to do with it. Or if you would say, yeah, I've been to church my whole life. This is a series for you. And the reason this is a series for everyone is simply this, because life is messy. Right? You, don't, you don't need me to tell you that. Because you know, you've experienced it, you lived it. In fact, the, the next thing I'm, I'm going to show you is, um, <clears throat> I'm going to put up on the screen, is, is something that you know intuitively, like this is not going to be revelatory for you, but I think it's good for us to kind of all get on the same page is that most of us are either in a mess, just coming out of a mess, or one dumb decision away from getting into a whole new mess. Because life in and of itself is just messy. And I I put this up here because I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, well, I'm not in the middle of a mess right now. Chris, I'm good, I'm sweet. There's no messes in my life that I need to address. And here's what happens to all of us, because when we all are at that kind of phase in our life, we just think, well, I'm never ever going to get into another mess. Like, uh, life has been good. I've got myself out of all the messes. I'm never going to get into another mess until you get into one. So if you're in that phase where you're kind of like in the honeymoon between messes phase at the moment, this series can kind of be preemptive for you. And you can kind of get on the front foot a little bit with this series and begin to navigate, like, how you might figure out and how you might address um, a mess if you were to ever begin to get into, um, into a mess uh, in your life again. Now, I recognise... <clears throat> that's probably a little bit of a pessimistic start to our kind of time together. It's like new series, you know, the week has been kind of like not great with everything that's going on in the world and I come to church and the guy goes, I'm either in a mess, coming out of a mess or I'm one dumb decision away from a mess." Well, let me tell you, I've got some good news for you. Here's the good news. Um, There's always someone in life uh, whose life is a bigger mess than yours. That's the good news. It's not really, is it? No, it's not. Because you hear that and you're like, well, kind of reassuring for a second, but it's not really helpful. Here's the actual good news. It's not just you, right? Because our messes are actually the things that bring us together. It's the messes in our life that bring us together. In fact, you know this if you've ever gone to a coach, if you've ever got a counsellor, if you've ever asked someone for advice, whether that's in business or relationships or music or whatever, you recognise, hey, there are some things that I don't know. And there are some things that other people have experienced and so, so when we actually reach out and when we actually ask for help, we recognize, hey, there are other people who have probably gone through similar messes to us. There are people who have probably experienced messes like mine and, and I want to reach out. And messes actually bring us closer together. The problem with a lot of us and the, the ch- where the challenge comes is for so many, so many people, like we, we often want to be critical when it comes to the messes in other people's lives. And, and our messes actually have an incredible way to pull us closer together Is instead of, if, if, if instead of being critical of our people's messes, we would begin to become students of other people's messes. And we would begin to ask questions. And we would begin to discover, because here's the incredible thing that happens, right, is when you become a student of messes instead of a critic, when you begin to find out someone's stories, what you discover is when you hear the story behind someone's mess, you see them differently when you realise the kind of home that they were raised in, when you realise the things that their boss tells them or that their partner tells them, when you realise the things that they tell themselves about them, you begin to see them differently. You begin to have a whole fresh perspective and a whole new way of looking at the world. And the reason that you see them differently is because you walk towards a mess as a student and not, it's someone who is critical or judgmental. Now, let me address like, the, the fact that some of you, if you're kind of brand new to church, or you're back to church for the first time in a long time, that maybe you walked away from church and the reason you walked away is because you went to a Jesus follower and you shared your mess with them and instead of being caring, they were critical. And instead of actually helping and, and kind of addressing the mess in your life, you kind of felt rejected and you kind of said to yourself, well, this is what following Jesus is about. I don't want to be a part of it. And if that's you, and if that's your experience, first of all, I want to let you know we're so glad you're here. But secondly, I want to let you know that is not remotely the teaching of Jesus in any way, shape or form. In fact, there, there was one encounter that Jesus had with a group of religious leaders who, instead of being caring, were critical. And Jesus's response to these, these group of religious leaders, he said to them, he said, "Hey, you should yank the plank. You should pull the plank out of your own eye, and you should look in the mirror." That every time you're tempted to be critical, every time you're tempted to point at someone and say, hey, look at the mess that you've made, or look at this mess, that you would actually look in the mirror first and you would actually recognise, wow, I I should pull the plank out of my own eye because I've got some messes in my life that I need to address and that I need to begin to move forward on. And if you've wondered what it is that Christians believe about the mess in the world and the messes in the world, Here's what we believe, that the mess that brings us together is the mess that brought God near. See, when the church first exploded onto the scene 2,000 years ago, followers of Jesus kind of termed this, and the world, people around them, they interacted with, they said, hey, this, this message of Jesus, this entire message of Jesus is good news. And it's not just like a piece of good news that you add to other pieces of good news, it's like the good news, it's like the only piece of good news that you need. And the good news that they would say is, hey, the good news is that Jesus didn't come into the world to judge your messes, to condemn you for your messes, but Jesus actually came in the middle, at the core of the good news, to address your mess, to address my mess, to address the mess of this messy, messy world that we find ourselves in. That's the good news. That's what Christians believe about the mess. The other thing Christians believe is that the mess is a lens. In other words, when we encounter a mess that we discover something, we see something through those messes, that the mess is a lens through which we discover God. That it's through some of these messes that we actually get to, and if you can recognize a mess when you see one, what Christians would say is that you're a baby step away from recognizing God. Now, that's a lot that's a big idea. I get that. And so we're going to spend the next couple of minutes kind of today as we kind of launch into this series unpacking this big idea. And we're going to unpack this kind of idea through, through the lens of this guy called Paul. He's a historical person. He wrote um, a, a lot of the documents that are, are found in the New Testament part of the Bible. But Paul actually didn't step onto the pages of history as Paul. He stepped onto the pages of history as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was this very zealous, very devout, jewish man and he actually saw christianity when it exploded onto the scene as a perversion of judaism and so because he was so zealous he thought well what do i do i actually eradicate this perversion of judaism so he got the document signed by the necessary authorities and he went out on a mission to destroy the church which at that point in history went he went on a mission killing christians and paul had this encounter with jesus that changed his life and as a result he changed his name so that people would know, hey, I've adopted a new way of living, a new way of thinking in the world. And Paul, what he did is he started all these churches around the Mediterranean Rim, and he would write them letters. And one of the really cool things about Paul, he's so unique, is that he wasn't just a mercenary, but he was also this incredibly, incredibly brilliant person. And he had probably the equivalent of what we would think of in our modern world as like two PhDs, probably around two PhDs, Paul's was so bright. And so he writes these letters, to these churches and he writes one letter to a place, uh, to a church that you you know um, the name of this place, to a church called, uh, in a city called Rome. And Paul wrote this letter and, and in this he addresses and he looks at this idea that, hey, the message is actually a lens through which we discover God. And the people that he was writing to in the city of Rome, they weren't people who had kind of come out of Judaism, which meant that they didn't have like a spiritual framework per se or a faith framework they were coming from. In fact, most of them were probably people like you and me who kind of came to God and came to understand God, um, just, they, they didn't have a framework to work through. They were kind of either made it up on their own or they heard what other people in culture said about faith and so they kind of adopted that and moulded that. And so Paul writes to them. And Paul shares in this letter and he sort of says, hey, talks about the mess and how we discover God. And it's, it's pretty dense because Paul's super, super smart. And so I'm going to walk us through and we're going to discover what Paul has to say about this. He, sa- he starts by saying this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, which is just a really fancy way of saying, um, if you are under a law, there is a law that is over you. Right, so if you, sign, if you go to work, and you sign a code of conduct, and you say, hey, I'm gonna behave this way, and I'm gonna act this way, I'm gonna say these certain things, that there is a code of behavior that you are under. You know, if you're a student, and you're at a high school, and you're a parent, and you enroll your students at a school, you acknowledge, hey, there are certain behaviors that my, I agree that my child and, and we are gonna behave, so when you jump in, you sort of say, there is a law that we are under, right? There is a law that we are under as Australians, like if you speed, someone will pull you over, you'll get a ticket, okay? If you're on your phone, you get caught, that's a thousand dollars and a fine, okay? There is a law which, which, with, uh, under which, uh, through which we are under. Now, <clears throat> this law to the people that was, they were listening to would have meant different things contextually. Like if a Jewish person was to hear this, they would have thought to themselves, okay, the law of God as in the Old Testament, okay, is revealed in the Old Testament. For people who are brand new to faith, they would have thought as in the law of Jesus. And the law of Jesus is to treat others the way that Jesus through God has treated you. And even if you're not a Christian, you can understand this idea of law as that, that thing that we call your conscience, that thing that pings, that thing that every moment you're kind of like, oh, I shouldn't say that, but I'm going to, or that thing that's like, that's not a good decision to make, or that's not healthy for a relationship. Paul would say the law is that thing that pings your conscience, that reminds you, hmm, this is what you ought to do, or this is what you ought not do. And so this law can kind of really apply um, in, in different ways uh, to all of us. And even if you're not a Christian, um, and in, in, well, it dep- regardless of where you sit on faith, we all kind of refer to law at uh, this law in some sense, whether that's the law of the Old Testament, the law of Jesus, and the law of God. And the, when we refer to it, we refer uh, at different points in our life. When we say this phrase, <clears throat> nobody's perfect, right? You know, when you don't measure up to that like level, that standard that you have on your, of yourself, and someone calls you out on it, and you just ah, oh, you look bit but nobody's perfect. Like, I know, I said I'd be home at five, and I know it's five thirty, but nobody's perfect. Like, I know, look, I know I shouldn't snap at them. I know, like, I know I should just be a little bit more gracious when I send that email response, but, but nobody's perfect. And what you're acknowledging, whether you recognize it or not, when we say that, when we say, hey, nobody's perfect, what we're acknowledging is this, that there is a perfect that nobody is, that there is a standard that nobody is, that we have this standard, and we don't know where we get it from, but there is this perfect standard standard that nobody is and then paul continues he says now we know that whatever the law says it says to those under the law so that in other words there's a reason that it pings there's a reason your conscience pings there's a reason that jesus um if you're under the law of jesus that you should love others and here's why so that every this isn't all skate this is for all people everyone regardless of faith everyone uh, so that every mouth may be silenced which is interesting right often we think, hey, the law is there so I can point out the messes in other people. But Paul would say, no, 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 the law is there so that when you're tempted to point, the law, uh, to point a mess out in someone else, that you would be silenced. Because just as you're about to do it, you would recognize the only reason that you can point out a mess in someone else is because you can see it in yourself. That there is a perfect, that nobody is, and the only reason you know that is because you don't match that standard. So, Paul says that you would be silenced and that the whole world would be held accountable to God. That this whole purpose of this law, whether it's your conscience, whether it's the law of Jesus, or whether it's the law of the Old Testament, is because ultimately, someone we want to hold people accountable to a standard. And then he continues. He says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law, rather the law... Uh, rather." through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So whether that's God's law or whether that's, um, you know, uh, G- the law of Jesus or the law of your conscience, um, all of us kind of have this idea in our minds and what it is, is designed to do is to ping within us when we miss that mark. So let me ask you this really kind of uncomfortable question, which is simply this. What does the law that you're under reminds you that you're not? Regardless of, of where you sit on faith, what is, the, what is the, the law that you're under, the law of your conscience, the law of Jesus, what does it remind you that you're not? Does it remind you like where you could be a better husband, where you could be a better father, where you could be a better wife, where you could be a better co-worker, where you could be a better friend? And we come home and you're like, oh, look, I know I said I wouldn't do this again, but I try, I'm trying really hard. What is the things that it reminds you that you're not? Because three verses later, Paul kind of drives home and Paul shares with us this big idea that he's been trying to get at. And this is the big idea that Paul's been trying to get at by kind of showing us the law that we're under. He says, for all, this is everyone have sin. This sin is like this this big churchy word that's kind of being used and abused. And so Paul, um, we wouldn't mind ask Paul, like, hey Paul, what what do you mean by that? And Paul would say, well let me tell you. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Now let's just, forget the God part for a second, uh, second, particularly if you're new to church, for all fall short. We can all get that, right? I I know I can get that because I know in my life that that I have a standard of Chris that that I want to live up to that I don't. And so I fall short of of my own standard that I have for myself all the time. And chances are you have standards in different areas of your life where you're like, hey, look, I I have this standard and and I fall short of the standard that I want and I have for myself. And Paul would say that if God exists, which Paul would say he does, that surely God has a standard that's bigger and better than your standard that you have for yourself. And so if God does exist and we acknowledge that, hey, we all fall short of our own standard, then the conclusion is that we all must fall short of God's standard if he has one. And here's what Paul's trying to get us to understand is, is this, that every mess has a reference Every mess that, that you make in, in your marriage or financially or relationally, it has a reference point and the reference point is this, the unmess. mess think about this, like, you know, you, you, have a, you have a point in your marriage, you're like, oh, my marriage could be so much better. There are things in my marriage that could be better. There are things financially that could be better. There are things in, at work that could be better. There are things in my friendships that could be better. And every time you say that it could be better or it could be work on these things, what you're referring to is the un-mess. You're saying, actually, there is a reference point outside of my, the mess that I'm in that, that I'm going to point to, that I'm going to say, hey, this, this mess, I, I have this, I don't know where it comes from, but I feel it within me that there's like this reference point that I just want to keep pointing to and I just want to say, hey, this is, I don't know what it looks like, but I definitely know it's an un-mess. And here's, here's the thing for us today, that awareness of our messes awakens us to something outside of us, to which we are accountable. Every single time we go, hey, it could be a little bit better. Every single time that we say, oh, I just want to, I just want to reach a little bit further. Out of our mess, and we point to the unmess. What we're saying is, hey, there's actually something outside of us, to which we are accountable. Whether you'd say that's the law of God, the law of Jesus, or whether you would say that's just my conscience dinging. There's something beyond us to which we are accountable. A couple of thousand years after Paul kind of wrote this letter to this church in in Rome, this this guy kind of stepped onto the scene at a very different point in history. You might have heard of him, his name was C.S. Lewis. In fact, if you know any of the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, or if you've watched the Chronicles of Narnia, you have C.S. Lewis um, to thank, or, or be annoyed at for that. Um, but C.S. Lewis, he was this brilliant, brilliant guy and he was a writer, he was a philosopher um, and he was a thinker and this thing bugged him this thing made him annoyed in fact C.S. Lewis was an atheist for most of his life and this thing bugged C.S. Lewis so much that he began to think about it over and over and over and over again and it was this um, this idea that, this, that there's something outside of our messes that we're accountable to that eventually led C.S. Lewis to become a Christian uh, to become a theist and then finally, a Jesus follower. And in the first um, chapter of this book that C.S. Lewis wrote called Mere Christianity, he talks about this, this scenario that he'd seen over and over again in life, and, and you've probably seen it too. And he, he was talking about two people that they were arguing. And then they were arguing about something that was unfair or something that was unjust or something that wasn't right. And what he was saying is whenever two people get into this, in an argument, he observed two things happening. Either one someone would would try and redefine the standard. They would say, well, no, 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 your standard's different to my standard. There's a standard, but the reason you think I'm being unfair is because you just don't understand the standard. Or he said something else would happen, which is where someone would start to go, well, hey, look, there's a reason that I didn't measure up the standard. There's a reason why I didn't kind of measure up to the expectations you had of me. But he observed, and this is what really bugged him, and this is what he, in his own words, he says, no one ever says, to hell with the standard. No one ever says, well, there is just no standard. Everyone always argues our way and our understanding of getting at the standard. And he said, "And what he even said was, sure, some people say there is no standard, but then what happens? They leave, and then they treat people how, however they want, and then someone does something wrong by them. And all of a sudden, they'll say, well, that's not fair. That's not just, and you can't do that. And he said, and once again, they start appealing to this Standard. And this is what C.S. Lewis wrote in his first chapter of Mere Christianity about this thing that bugged him that led him to Jesus. He says, the law of gravity tells you what stones do if you drop them. And all throughout this kind of this book, later he would talk about different laws that, that we would see appearing in nature. And he said that, well, it tells you what stones do because if you drop a stone over and over again, you can predict it. That's why pilots can kind of take, um, use and understand the law of gravity for planes to take off. It's predictable. You see it over and over and over again why if you like golf um i don't understand why you do but i get that some people do it's why that you can get better at it right because you can understand the law of gravity you can understand the, these laws are in nature and they're predictable you can do that over and over and over again and get the same result but he said the law of human nature tells um, you that human beings what, what human beings ought to do and do not he said like there's this thing within inside us that, that Lewis, was like, that we observe, that there, there are just certain things that we say, you know what, it is better in relationships when we forgive quickly. It is better in relationships when we act humbly. But when we don't do it, we know that there, that's just gonna, there's going to be some consequences. We know that it is better for us to kind of keep relationships together than just kind of go around and trash every relationship that we have. And then he goes on. He says, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. And this is the thing that bugged him so much because he was like, well, why can't we get rid of it? If we don't like the standard, if we don't like the way it feels, why can't we just say, let's go? Like, we're over with it. We don't want to appeal to this anymore. And he said this, that there is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior. And yet quite definitely real. A real law, which none of us, made which is why we can't get rid of it but which we find pressing on us and what Paul would say and what C.S. Lewis would say and what I I hope I can convince you of today is that pressing on us is the gracious pressing of God not to make you feel judged or condemned but to bring you to awareness and to help you recognise God himself that's why we feel this law pressing in on us. Now, that is a lot for part one. If you're normally here for part one of a series, I want to let you know, norm- normally it's not that we don't just go like, right in the deep end, but we went in the deep end today. So I kind of want to backpedal a little bit and I just want to let you know the moral of today. The moral of the story for today is this. Whoops. The moral of the story for today is this, that we all have something in common. That's it, like we all have something in common. The mess. The thing that we all have in common in all areas of our life is the mess. And this is why I want to end on this today. Because as we launch this series, what this means, because we all have something in common, it means that you have something in common with the people you despise the most. That that group of people, and I don't know who it is for you, where you think, I would never talk to fill in the blank. I would never sit with fill in the blank. Oh, I'm too good for fill in the blank that you actually have something in common and we all have something in common with that person or those groups of people that we despise the most the myth so here's what i want us to do for the next 7 days we kind of have this little thing here beyond it's called a four monday because we, we don't we want to um, we think our time together should be helpful and we just don't want it to help you on Sunday. We, we know that information doesn't change lives. It's application that changes lives. And so for the next seven days, here's what I want you to do. Every time you see a mess, every time you're about to point it out or have that thought like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that again. Like, didn't they learn the last 15 times? Every time you, you're, you're tempted to do that, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say this. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Every time you're tempted to be critical, instead, be caring. Instead, and you don't have to say it out loud, right? Because I understand how weird that would be. You know, someone comes in like late to work again, and they're like, oh my goodness, I slept in, and they give you the whole story. And you're just like, I know a mess when I see one, because I know one. Uh, because I am one. Like, that's just weird, okay? So you can just say it under your breath. You can say it to yourself as you're just about to go into like judgmental mode in your mind. You can just say, hey, look, I, I know a mess. And the only reason I know a mess when I see one is because I've made some messes. And and if I'm honest, I'm a little bit of a mess, too. And so for the next seven days, that's all I want you to do. Then I want you to come back, because we're going to continue the conversation in part two of Address the Mess. But I'd love to pray before we hand back to the band for our final song. Jesus, it is um, so easy to be critical of the messes that we see in people's lives as opposed to be curious. But this week, help us to be people who don't just want to point out the messes in others' lives, but to help us to recognise that the mess actually draws us together. That the mess is actually what drew you near. And that when we recognise the messes in our lives, we are a baby step away from acknowledging you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.